0: Good afternoon, I'm Claudia Shambaugh, filling in once again for Kimberly Martin on her show, Real People of Orange County. Happy Diwali, all my Indian friends out there. I hope it's a really festive week for you and for uh, introducing that wonderful festival of lights to all the uh, non-Indian pals you have out there. This is the October, uh, just uh, post eclipse, uh, lunar solar eclipse uh, right now on uh, October 23rd, 2014. If you miss a portion uh, of this show or other shows, you can always log into the website uh, Kimberly has set up for Real People of OC or over at KUCI.org. Today, we have the distinct opportunity to have Janice Wagner, co-president of the North Orange County chapter of the League of Women Voters, to talk about all those propositions and bonds on your general election ballot. I could walk a good many halls nearby here before I might get this level of insightful analysis. We'll be right back after a brief station break. Stay tuned, won't you? Thanks for staying tuned. That was the uh, none other than the fine Charles Lloyd, who's got some uh, remixes out here. Uh, but this was his notes from Big Sur tracks called "Sam Song." So on to the program, folks. Uh, my guest today is Janice Wagner, co-president of the North Orange County chapter of the League of Women Voters, to talk about the propositions and measures that are on our general election ballot this November 4th. Currently, Jan Wagner also serves as a member at large with the Orange County Committee on School District Organization and is a legislative analyst for K through 12 education League of Women Voters of California. Her other many faceted contributions In and around the state of California include Executive Director of the Down Syndrome Association of Orange County, Governing Board Member Placentia Yorba Linda, Unified School District, Executive Director of Executive Orange County Coalition of Public Schools Foundation, and the Executive Director and President of the Placentia Yorba Linda Educational Foundation, Incorporated. Her legislative experience includes Planning Commissioner, the City of Vallejo, the Solano, County Coordinator for then Assemblyman Vic Fazio and at the invitation of President Jimmy Carter she participated along with other California community leaders and legislators at a White House forum that she attended that was back in 1980. I bring it up though because it's such a special forum. She attended Cal State University Sonoma and later the North Orange County Leadership Institute where she received her California School Board Association certification. So with her sharp legislative and analytical acuity. I, she comes to us from Fullerton to take up the California statewide measures and then we will conclude with a few bonds here and, and measures here in Orange County. Welcome to Real People, Jan Wagner. Thank you. Well, let's first talk generally about how voters can approach in general the propositions and measures both state, local, uh, and regional.
1: Well, the League of Women Voters always suggests that you remember that when you're, you really only have a yes or a no vote, and often these measures are very complex, you don't have an opportunity to say yes to some of it and no to some of it. You just have a yes or a no. Yes means that you want the change that is proposed. No simply means that you're going to leave the situation as it is. You may choose to vote no simply because the question is too complex for a yes or no answer. You may choose to evaluate, is it the solution to the problem that's being posed? Is it written well? Is it paid for? Does it create new problems? Does it restrict the state budget? And in the case of one of the measures we're going to be looking at today, does it belong in the state constitution? Those are all things that you should be considering with your vote.
0: Well, that is what we have brought you on here for. I'm so pleased to have you mention that because it's like taking tests, standardized tests. It's, it doesn't leave any room for sort of onto, honest intellectual uh, discourse to say what uh, what needs to be added or taken out and that kind of thing. So it's a, this is a very helpful guide for all of us, Jan. That's
1: true. The other thing that I think people need to remember and that they always... Or often isn't clear, is that voter guide that you receive is not necessarily, well, it simply isn't all factual information. The first part of it in each measure is by the Legislative Analyst's Office, and you can take that as fact. Anything that is not from the Legislative Analyst's Office is someone's opinion. It's often paid for, and it's an advertisement, and you should view it as such. The only fact is what's there from the Legislative Analyst's Office. And parenthetically, though, we're talking about uh, initiatives today. Realize that all of those bios that are in the back of the, um, that are from candidates, are also paid for. And I point that out because the fact that they're not there for a particular candidate does not necessarily mean that the candidate doesn't care or that they're not running. It just means that they didn't have the many thousands of dollars that it costs to pay to put that statement in the ballot.
0: May I add one other item, Jan, is that maybe some are mentored to know how to handle that process and some are maybe a little bit newer in the process. It doesn't take away from their competence in holding office. It's just at the extent to which the, uh, the party machinery has assisted them in carrying out these different things. That's
1: true. And those ballot statements, by the way, have to be paid for by personal check on the day that you walk up to the office and, and, and file. So if you're not prepared for that, it, that opportunity is gone.
0: Very, very helpful. Well, shall we then begin, Jan Wagner, with the, we we'll are just go in chronological order from the state to the county measures. We'll start with Proposition Number 1, the Water Bond Funding for Water Quality Supply, Treatment, and Storage Projects.
1: And this is the biggest and most controversial initiative on the ballot. It was placed on the ballot by the governor and the legislature. It, the question is, should the state of California sell $7.1 billion in additional general obligation bonds to fund a series of water-related programs? Realize that many of California's water storage, delivery, and treatment system programs are out of date, that our water systems vary across the state widely, and that some are able to handle our systems today and some are not. Some are not able to handle our drought. Some are not able to handle floods. We have some levees that are breaking. We have others that are in good condition. We also are in a drought, and our environment is significantly affected by our water supply. We're one of the few states in the country that until just a few months ago could drop a well any place where we owned land as deep as we wanted to drill and pump water out of our aquifer. There are parts of our state where the land has literally dropped five inches because we have dropped our pumped our aquifer so low. So... Water is going to re- has always been and is going to remain a huge issue in the state of California. It breaks down by region far more than it breaks down by party, by political party. And um, no particular issue is ever going to make everyone happy.
0: I just want to ask, Jen, uh, another detail is it does not even affect the uh, pricing of water in any area around the state.
1: That is correct. Um, water pricing is supposed to be just the price of delivery, but that is far from the case. It varies very widely. Um, we have tiered pricing as a conservation measure in some areas. There's all sorts of pricing based on the cost of treatment. Um, there's Pricing is a whole other issue, and it is not affected by this bond this bond is for infrastructure and if you look at the pro and con the pros and cons in general on all bond issues are the same they are do you want to borrow money for large projects that you don't have the money to pay for right now and kind of like a mortgage you've got Something that is going to last a very long time and you're going to pay for it over a very long time because you can't afford to pay for it up front. On the other hand, when you take that approach, you're going to pay a great deal more for it because you're going to have many, many years of interest cost that is rolled into that extended payment period. Bonds are paid for from the general fund and we have those costs that are constantly then paid by future generations, the thought being that they are also receiving benefit in future generations. So you've always got people who are in favor of bonds saying that they're a prudent way to finance large projects and people who are opposed to bonds saying that they are an unnecessarily expensive way to fund projects and that they... um, they impact future generations,
0: and there is economic activity that may uh, may or may not have merit in uh, invigorating the economy in those kinds of expenditures. So it's it's so multifaceted. Oh, this decision, and,
1: and then when you sit down, then you get to look at what the bond actually does. And in this particular case, this bond would build. The biggest amount of it, four point two billion dollars of it would build dams and replenish groundwater and recycling efforts. About three billion of it is dams. Those are favored by large farmers and large, like the metropolitan water districts. okay? they they're very thirsty consumers. Agriculture consumes a uh, large majority of the water in our state. Um, and they want, big projects. Those are also favored by a host of other people that you wouldn't necessarily think of when you think of water. They're favored by the construction industry because they build those projects. They're favored by a host of cities and recreational um, facilities that build up whole economies around reservoirs that have boating and fishing and all of those sorts of activities for um, recreational use. They are not favored by people who tend to worry about the environment or feel that groundwater restoration and recycling is a much more efficient and critical way. To and and more cost-effective way that actually meets the water need. So you will see groups that say, I won't vote for something if it has a lot of money going towards large dam projects, and another group that will say, I won't vote for it if it doesn't have large projects in it like dams and so it's it's very hard to please everyone there's an additional in this particular bond 1.5 billion dollars in watershed restoration that is the delta up near san francisco bay which is essentially the state's filtering system if we don't take care of the delta our water becomes full of salt Um, Water quality has $1.4 billion in that. That is largely sewer treatment and and, and recycling plants, mainly for poor communities in rural areas up and down the state. And then there's about $400 million in flood protection, which goes to various levees that are in danger of breaking down. So those are the projects where this specific money goes in this specific
0: bond issue. We spent that much time on that proposition. Folks, it's going to be a variable time spent on each one. But because of the order of magnitude of financial impact, resource impact, we thought it was important to give it this um, extensive uh, attention. Thank you for that Jen. Shall we're sure welcome. If we if time is uh, if it's the right rhythm here let's let's go on to proposition number 2, the state budget state the budget stabilization account or also known as the rainy day fund.
1: And this one is a constitutional amendment. And so one question becomes immediately does this belong in the constitution? Should the state constitution be amended to change how the state pays down debt and its reserves? And what this one does is um, when the economy is strong, it puts um, state tax revenues and transfers money into reserves. It essentially says that it will transfer 1.5% of revenues into a budget stabilization account. And for the first 10 years, half of that money would go into paying. Uh, debt payments into our underfunded pension plans, and the other half would go into savings. Additionally, when we have spikes in our capital gains revenue, essentially when Silicon Valley sells a bunch of IPOs, if it becomes greater than 8% of our revenues, that money goes into a budget stabilization account as well. Everybody seems to love this idea with the exception of one little thing that got thrown in at the last minute, and that was a um, creating an education stabilization account in addition, which also sounds great, except that to do that, it limits the reserves that local school districts can have at the same time. And that is the controversy in this measure. Um, the... Uh, Supporters of this measure say that Proposition 2 will force the state government to save money in good years and pay down its debts faster and address our underfunded pension needs. And opponents say that it will restrict local school districts and make it harder for schools to address bad economic times.
0: And when we were off, Mike, you had mentioned that uh, there is another feature that perhaps that that particular feature of uh, restricting what local uh, governments, school authorities are able to do, that they are, in, uh, they are legally not permitted to weigh in on this issue. So by putting that measure in the proposition, the opposition, the discourse is radically uh, adjusted.
1: That's true. Um, Any tax-funded agency, school districts are one, cannot, their income is tax dollars, and they cannot spend tax dollars on political purposes. So a a tax, you know, a school district cannot go out and and lobby against a a proposition. So they, they essentially are silent on the issue. They can set up a political committee of, say, the PTA can go out and lobby on this particular issue, but it's much more difficult.
0: So that's uh, it's in a sense a bit of a calculation of the governor in uh, putting that proposition on our general election ballot.
1: That is correct.
0: Yes. Now, shall we move on then to Proposition sure. Forty Five, the health care insurance, the rate changes?
1: This one you'll see a bit more about um, because anytime you enjo- in, uh, involve the insurance industry, you involve money, and therefore you have the power. Who is who are interested in spending some money to sway your vote? Um, The question here is, should changes in some health insurance rates require the insurance commissioner's approval before going into effect? One thing you need to remember about Proposition 45 is the the majority of Californians, at least 75% of us, are insured by either large group employee plans or government programs, and this does not apply to us. The 16 or so percent that are covered by individual or small group plans are the people who are covered under this initiative, and that's the that's the only group that is covered by this initiative. Okay. Okay? The question is, when rate changes are proposed for that 16 percent of small group or individual rate holders, should those rate insurance rate changes be approved or disapproved by the insurance commissioner this proposal was written to mirror what we have in auto insurance in the state of california the wrinkle is that it was written before we had obamacare which put in place covered california and the same people are covered under covered california as are covered under this initiative there is some question as to how those two will work together. It does coexist in some states, four or five other states. It's really too early to tell whether or not the two will conflict or work well. It's a mixed bag where it exists in the other states. So essentially, the, uh, the proposal grants the insurance commissioner the right to say yes or no to rate increases for those 16% of our, of our Californians who have insurance through small group or individual plans.
0: So when this was drafted, it was before the implementation of California covered under the Affordable Care Act, so there wasn't any effort to adjust this or remove it? One of
1: the interesting things about initiatives is that once they have been approved and placed on the ballot, they cannot be removed or adjusted.
0: All right. So it's been that long on there.
1: That's correct.
0: Is there more do you want to say to that, Jan Wagner, or only
1: that supporters say that health insurance rates keep rising faster than inflation, and Prop forty-five would help control that. They feel, and okay. opponents say it puts too much power in the hands of an insurance commissioner, which is an interesting argument. Okay. Um, Forty-six. Is titled medical negligence, and it is the one that if you turn on your television, you are going to, or open your mail, you are going to be flooded with, because it involves a huge amount of money from two big power money groups in the in the state. Yes. Insurance. I'm in, medical insurance people on one side, and medical professionals, and on the other side, the um, the lawyers and and uh, uh, law professionals. So you've got a lot of money on two different sides of this question, and they're flooding you with their opinions.
0: Well, let's let the tide recede, and uh, uh, let's have some clarity from you, Jen. You've been giving it right and left here.
1: Okay. Should California require random drug testing of doctors? Require doctors to check a state database before prescribing certain drugs and raise the cap on non-economic damages in medical negligence lawsuits. And it is that last portion that is creating the most um, concern or creating the most money. That's drawing all the money. Okay. Okay. Realize that in 1975 we had another insurance, another initiative called Micra, Medical Injury right. Compensation Reform Act. And it capped non-economic pain and suffering damages at $250,000. Right. It did not index those for inflation. If it had that economic damage today, non-economic damage today, I'm sorry, economic damages are not capped in any way. Those are loss of wages, things like that. It capped non-economic damages at $250,000 if that had risen by inflation they would that would be equal to one point one million dollars today now just to give you a little bit of perspective two hundred and fifty thousand dollars as a non-economic damage is low if you look at it nationally one point one million dollars is would be the highest in the country the high middle across the country is somewhere between 500 and $700,000, okay? So that just sort of gives you the range.
0: It's a gauge, but we know that there was politicking around that gauge elsewhere, too.
1: Absolutely. Okay. So the question is, should we raise the cap for pain and suffering to $1.1 million and index that for inflation going forward? Should we require doctors to check a database before prescribing certain drugs? and should we require drug and alcohol testing of doctors and require the california medical board to suspend doctors pending positive tests okay we'll take them one by one Okay. the first one raising the cap for pain and suffering to one point one million dollars that's where everybody is all the medical establishment and interestingly some um... cities counties and unions are lining up in opposition to this bill and they're doing so purely for economic reasons They are saying that it will raise the cost of medical malpractice insurance so much that the rates of insurance will go too high. And one of the primary examples they use, for example, is the OBGYN, who is today delivering babies who are sometimes very premature, who are um, disabled for life, what is the pain and suffering that is involved for that child for life what's the value that's going to be and therefore what kind of insurance coverage does that doctor have to have when they're delivering baby after baby after baby now that's the worst case but that kind of money is what they are going to have to insure against and 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 have and that we will all pay a rate for Okay, so that is those those are the that's the big specter that they're raising when they're saying it's going to raise everybody's insurance rates very high. Okay, so that's on the con side of this. The pro side of that is saying $250,000 for pain and suffering is so low that you can't even get an attorney to take a case for pain and suffering. And that's just too low and unfair so that there is really nothing. It's, it's really a, a no case at all.
0: It silences a plaintiff. It silences
1: the plaintiff. That's correct. So now take the next one.
0: When, before we do that, certainly. for those of you who've just joined us here on Real People of Orange County, I'm Claudia Schambau, your host today, uh, taking Kimberly Martin's place so that we may have an ample opportunity to cover state, regional, and local measures on our general election ballot. This is November 4th, and my guest is jan wagner the co-president of the north orange county league of women voters we are now you were saying jan
1: oh we're now on proposition 46 and we're on a couple of the other um issues that it covers other than um pain and suffering It requires doctors to check a database before prescribing certain drugs. We do currently in California have a database. It's called Cures. It is in progress. It is not supposed, its timeline expects, it's supposed to be fully operational by the middle of 2015 to possibly 2016. Pharmacists are checking it today and and are required to check it today, but again, it is not fully operational. It is envisioned that doctors will start to check it in 2016, but again, this, this initiative requires doctors to start checking it the day after it passes. Right away. Okay, and then requiring drug and alcohol testing of doctors. Um, It doesn't say how that would be done. I mean, no one, of course, wants an impaired doctor to be doing surgery. For example, be doing any medical. Be doing anything, right? But some doctors work in hospitals. Some work in offices. Some do both. Um, Some work in very rural settings. Some are, you know, some settings are very underserved. Some are, we're using nurse practitioners with no doctors at all. Um, What, and so how often do you test? When do you test? Under what circumstances do you test? Is it, you know, what kind of, what are you going to test for?
0: Yeah, that's a good one.
1: What, um, what, what are the repercussions? You know, do you is the license lost? Is it suspended? Is it lost for how long? What's the due process? It simply says require the medical board to suspend doctors pending positive tests. It's I'm not personally, I've read this over and over, and I don't know what pending positive tests means. I don't know if that means you're going to test them again. And so they're suspended until they get another, you know. If you're going to test them until they they test clear, normally a positive test means that there's that the drug is apparent, that it's actually present.
0: Well, there's poppy so, seeds. I mean, I'm just trying to think of all the kinds of po- false positives that could just set somebody on the whole wrong path.
1: So I anyway, that that's that's a bit now the the people who are opposed to this initiative say that all of those other things are a smokescreen that really all the proponents want is to raise the um, the cap on pain and suffering. Okay. I would remind everyone that the motivations here don't matter at all. We, yes or no, on okay. everything. Okay, Okay. wow, there okay. you are. And, and I would say that one of the things that we look at as the League of Women Voters is who's really for and really against.
0: Follow the money. You
1: know, citizens for Better Government is, You know, <laughs> we're all citizens for better government. Those who are for this are a huge long list of attorneys and attorney groups, and those who are against it are a huge long list of medical insurance companies, medical doctors, and in some cases unions and municipalities. So you can sort of go where you wish with that one.
0: Okay. We'll scoot right along to Proposition 47, Criminal Sentences, Misdemeanor Penalties.
1: Right. We are in a position in our state where we have had a series of um, determinant sentencing laws that have uh, put a whole lot of people in our prisons and our jails. And we are under um, receivership from the federal government because our jails and our prisons are too crowded. And so we're starting now to see some proposals that come out that reduce the number of people that are in those institutions. This one is, should we reduce felony charges for petty theft, receiving stolen property, forging and writing bad checks of $950 or less, and some drug possession charges to a misdemeanor? These are all items that could be charged either as a felony or a misdemeanor. In other words, they qualify either way. And the district attorney and or the judge makes a determination whether they feel it qualifies as a felony or a misdemeanor. Those who are in favor of this um, this proposition say that we don't equally apply our our laws. that those who tend to have access to high quality representation would get this would get a misdemeanor. And those who don't, charged with felonies Um, they would also say that we have too many people in our jails and that these people are better handled um, with with people with probation officers and in our communities than in our prisons and um, in our in our most secure uh, county facilities those who feel the other way say that um, we need to keep our communities safe and uh, breaking into a home to steal 950 dollars worth of goods um, is still breaking into a home and we don't you know we want to keep those people off of our streets so supporters say this will reduce high prison spending on low-level nonviolent crimes um, and that law enforcement resources will be better focused on violent and serious crimes. And opponents say that it will burden our criminal justice system over crowd jails with inmates um, who will be moved from state prison and jam the courts with resentencing hearings. And that, by the way, is because this does not retroactively take all those folks right. who were sentenced with a felony, mm-hmm. But it does allow them to apply for resentencing. And they estimate that that would be about 2,000 people.
0: In the whole state?
1: In state who would apply for resentencing. Okay. Okay. So now we're at 48, Gaming Compact. Yes. And you're all wondering, when you look at it, why in the world you're voting on it.
0: Yeah, that's a good question.
1: Um, And you're voting on it because the initiative that allowed, uh, that we all voted on not too long ago, that allowed us to have gaming in the state of California um, under Indian auspices uh, um, said that we all would vote on these every time they came up. So here you are. You're voting on it. Um, (laughs) Okay. In 2000, Californians approved Proposition 1A that allowed tribes to offer slot machines, lottery games, and certain types of card games on Indian lands in California. And we said that compacts had to be approved by the legislature, the governor, and the voters. So now we are looking at this compact. And it says... Should the North Fork Tribe begin gaming in Madera County and allow the Wyo tribe to share revenue from the North Fork Casino? There are two things about this, however, that are different. And the biggest mm. one is that the North Fork Tribe, we have, when we first looked at that first initiative, we, there was a, a general feeling that it would um, impact and improve the lives of all of our Indian tribes. That, in point of fact, is not true. What it did was improve greatly the lives of the Indian tribes that were located in areas where they could put casinos and have enough traffic to have them actually be successful. Those Indian tribes like these that are either in very rural areas or, in the case of the Wyo tribe, actually located in parts of Yosemite where they simply have are in too ecologically sensitive location or too remote a location for that to be economically feasible, have no share in those gaming revenues. And so what this has done is that they have gone through the federal government and purchased off-reservation land in an economically viable area in in Madera County and want to put a casino there. So the first thing that is different is that this compact allows the Norfolk tribe to build a new casino on tribal off-reservation land. It would be the first one. And then secondly, what it's saying is that the, um, the revenues would then be shared with another tribe that cannot build in their ecologically sensitive area all of the financial all of the fiscal impacts are payments that are benefiting Madera County um 16 to 35 million from the North Fork Tribe to Madera County 10 million dollars every year for 20 years from the North Fork Tribe to Madera County and and the increased jobs and revenue in Madera County the people you can look at the list of those who are for it and against it but it is really fairly um this is one of those that's it, it's confusing. Governor Brown is in favor of it. Building and Trades are in favor of it. Madeira County is in favor of it. That's pretty obvious. Right. Those who are opposed to it are, quite honestly, the existing Indian tribes who have uh, casinos in the area.
0: And uh, non-Indian Indian, uh, tribe, uh, non-Indian gamers that want no other competition either. That's correct. Okay. Right. like Sheldon Adelson, is he, does he have skin in this game too?
1: You know, I don't know. I that's thought not a name that... That, that i know
0: of oh well he's he's the one <laughs> he's international in his gaming and uh, so uh, but he, he bankrolled lots of uh, lots okay. of presidential so anyway it so it looks
1: like the money that's in uh, that's game rolling the opposition to this one are the three tribes that have existing um casinos in in madera county that's that looks like where most of the money is coming in opposition to this
0: one. okay Okay. okay, and when I said, I meant gaming, not gamers, I know that folks, that's a, that dated me right there making that guess, so <laughs> okay. I know that difference there. Well, okay. for, for those of you who have just tuned in, uh, we are having uh, as a, a guest for the whole hour, Janice Wagner. She's the co-president of the Ch- the North Chapter of the Orange County League of Women Voters, talking about each and every state and some regional and uh, a few well, some county measures here on Real People of Orange County. I'm Claudia Shambaugh, your host, filling in this week for Kimberly Martin. She'll be on next week on her show, the regular time. So we are now moving right through this. Um, the county has a number of measures, a couple here. Would you, Jan Wagner, like to lead us through, uh, well, there's first county, uh, the Measure E, authorizing ethics the Ethics Commission to Enforce County Campaign Finance Rules. Sounds well, great on its face, so let's hear both sides it, of that. It
1: does. It actually has nothing to do with an ethics commission, and I think it's really quite interesting. That well. The title of it is, is really quite interesting. It's a campaign reform ordinance. Um, in in uh, 1992, in Orange County, we passed something known as Tin Cup Um, It set contribution limits and regulated other campaign activity of county-elected officials and candidates for county offices. Civil actions seeking monetary penalties for violations can currently be brought by the Orange County District Attorney or by any county resident. Criminal violations are prosecuted by the District Attorney, and there is no mechanism in the ordinance for administrative enforcement short of civil action. There's been zero important action taken by the district attorney under tin cup since it passed the person who and i, I say that there is a person right. her name is shirley grindle she's been on my and show she is the person who enforces tin cup she has a room in her home full of three by five cards right and she very diligently tracks all of the campaign finances for everybody in Orange County, and when somebody exceeds their campaign finance limit, she picks up the phone, she calls them, she says, you're exceeded your finance limit, you need to send that money back, and they do.
0: They do. I think there's only, Um, she was on my show, Ask Alita, I have on Tuesday mornings, and she mentioned that, uh, that, that it's worked, but there were a few exceptions, and I think she's Made a point of some sort of. Uh, she has been able to do a public shaming mechanism, but okay. she's been the one administering she ten has. cups.
1: She has. Now, what's the issue? Well, there's a couple. First of all, Shirley Grindle, who is an amazing woman, is 82 years old. And, and she likes playing
0: softball. She's ready to she play does. just that. Yeah. That's
1: true. And it wouldn't matter, frankly, if she was 50 years old. Right. She is a person. None of us are going to last forever. None of us can ensure that we are going to be here to do a particular job forever. And is it good public policy to have the enforcement of, you know, pu- a public issue? residing with one person the answer is no okay okay so that's one issue the second issue is that the orange county grand jury three times now has informed the orange county board of supervisors that they feel there is corruption in orange county and has recommended the formation of an ethics committee the Board of Supervisors has received that recommendation three times with a resounding, oh, no, there isn't, and no, we don't need that at all. Right. Okay, so that is the situation. Now, as a fix, the Orange County Board of Supervisors has proposed Measure E, and what they have proposed is that they turn over the enforcement of tin cup, to the fair political practices commission now that is what measure e does it doesn't set up an ethics commission it the fppc is not an ethics commission so all of the talk there is around here about an ethics commission is all background it isn't in measure e that's the first thing okay secondly the fppc cannot legally take over enforcement of Tin Cup without legal action without a law being passed in the state legislature that enables it to do so. Right now, all it does is receive candidate filings and publish candidate filings up and down the state. It is not a watchdog organization. There is one exception. It does operate as a watchdog organization under contract for San Bernardino, and that actually isn't going very well and probably won't continue. But nevertheless, it, they, they do have a legal obligation that was passed through the legislature that allows them to do what Measure E envisions in San Bernardino, but only in San Bernardino. Oh. So okay. the County Board of Supervisors got hold of Lou Correa, who is a, one of our assemblymen, or actually is a Senator, Senator Correa. Right. And Senator Correa state pr- senator. Right. Pr- proposed legislation to have the FPPC take over um, the enforcement of ordinances like tin, tin Cup all up and down the state. At the same time that they did that, they put Measure E on the ballot. Problem is, Lou Correa's bill died in committee. So there is no legal way for the FPPC to accept this responsibility. Mm. Those who vote yes on Measure E will simply be sending a message that this is what they would like to have happen in the future if there is a legal way of doing so. Those who vote no will be saying that they don't want that kind of thing to happen. But neither vote will make an effective change because the point is moot. It can't legally be done today.
0: It's a way of signaling, though, a preference for an administrative legal recourse. In that is, that campaign is campaign finance.
1: That is correct, but it cannot take legal effect.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, there—that's the way you said it in the beginning is it's beautiful. That it's uh, there's no multiple choice, no haggling. It's up, it's down. So, that's right. Wow.
1: The other one is Measure G, yes. and we're really getting into the weeds when we talk about this one. All
0: right, let's do it.
1: Essentially, this one is a situation where um, we've got one county, a member of the County Board of Supervisors who's running for the Assembly, and the Board of Supervisors looked around, and they realized that when they changed from a general law county to a charter county, that the way a vacancy is filled was not a way that they liked. So they have put Measure G on the ballot to change that. The first thing it does is easy. It re- it removes uh, reference from a March primary to a June primary. Well, that has to be because we don't have a March primary anymore. The other is that mm-hmm. it simply changes a su- the way that a supervisorial vacancy is filled to an appointment. What it does is it says that if a term of office is less than a year but greater than six months, the vacancy is filled by the person who received a majority of votes in the primary. Well, if it's less than a year but greater than six months, the primary either hasn't happened yet or the person is in office already. Um, hmm. <laughs> so, okay if that person does not assume office and no one received a majority in the primary the supervisors may appoint so there you go the supervisors are going to appoint that's not that is actually the way that almost every elected group does it if you've got a vacancy at the school board or the city council they either appoint someone to fill the vacancy or they call a special election right. and that's what this says if a person does not assume the office they e- the supervisors will appoint or call a special election um, if the remaining term of office is a hundred and eighty days or less the vacancy is simply left vacant and the and they have staff fill the fill the needs of the of the, term. the district yeah yeah and that's what this one does
0: okay so we that is uh, Measure G. Now we have, you are from the city of Fullerton, and there is where you're best versed for municipal measures. Uh, the, I, I'm registered in another uh, municipality uh, than you, but since you're uh, well informed about your, in, your immediate city, I want you to take uh, that moment, this moment, and uh, fill us in, uh, those listening uh, or n- interacting with, fullerton constituents to uh, for you to take that opportunity now Jan wagner
1: well it would be better for me i think to jim just generally talk about bond issues and in our particular north orange county area um, we have uh, north orange county community college district has a large almost a half billion dollar bond measure on the ballot we have two high school districts that have bond measures on the ballot Um, and i i would not be a bit surprised to find other areas up and down the county that have other bond measures on the ballot and i think it's important for people to realize that the california constitution provides school districts and community colleges the right to issue general obligation bonds to construct, reconstruct, rehabilitate, buy property um, for school facilities, and it requires a 55% vote to pass. And that's new a few years ago. Exactly. It also, all of the bonds are the same in some ways. They all provide that they can only be set aside for specific purposes, and those purposes will be a list that you can see If you want to know exactly what those bonds are going to be used to pay for, you can see that list. They have to be published. And they cannot be commingled with other district funds. And I used to be a school board member, and I was a school board member when our recession hit. And we had a bond that had been passed several years before, and we were in the process of spending some of that money. And it was very, very hard. Mm. It was hard on the community, and it was hard on us. It was wonderful to have those wonderful new facilities, but it was difficult because we were building them at the same time that we were cutting programs and laying off teachers, and you felt like you were going to have these beautiful rooms and nobody was going to be in them. And we had people who were very knowledgeable and very informed come to us and say, Can't you please... Use some of these bond monies to keep our programs and pay our right. teachers? That's and the answer is absolutely not, unless we're willing to go to jail. And we're not willing to go to no, jail. No, no.
0: The same thing happens with, I guess, North North County has fewer Mellow Rus opportunities for financing the, the brick and mortar um, expenses. And so, uh, but the, the same thing happens with uh, Central and Southern Orange County, where there's Mellow Rus funding, is that the brick and mortar funds. Uh, show us lovely new buildings, maybe state-of-the-art design, improved designs, but, uh, but pink slips to the teachers, and it's, that's a tough one to reconcile. It's hard to get those parcel taxes approved. It
1: is. Um, the other thing that all bonds do is they all um, involve, they all authorize the uh, tax increment to be levied on property. These are property attached to property owners um, to pay for the bonds. And they all require annual audits of the funds, and they all require a Citizens Oversight Committee to be established to make sure that the bond proceeds are properly expended. And none of them guarantee that everything on the list will be done or built. They only guarantee that they'll do it as far as they have money, as the money will go.
2: Okay.
1: So. I think when you look at bonds, you need to, and then from there on, you go back to that, what I said at the beginning of the program, about how you decide whether or not you think bonds are the best way to finance projects. Right. Um, It used to be before Prop 13 that school districts didn't rely on bonds as much as they do today. Because they had direct property taxing authority, right. and they could go directly to their communities and have the communities vote on whether or not they wanted to, to raise their property taxes to pay for, for um, infrastructure projects. They can't do that today. And so bonds are the way um, all these projects are, seem to be financed. Now, I have to say that that's going to be a discussion in the future. The governor has raised yes. that issue right. and does not has let it be known that he doesn't think that's the way the state should be going any longer, although he's got some big bond issues on, on this ballot, right, certainly right. the water bond. He, so it's going to be something we'll be talking about.
0: Well, fine. Uh, yeah, He's even looking at Prop 13 in terms of certain pieces of it. He says it's sacrosanct, but... Prop 13 needs some examining and that's I guess that's his you tipping know, that's his hand about that. that's been a
1: discussion for a long right time, on. but I I I will be I'm a skeptic as to whether or not the public will actually vote to change Prop 13 in any meaningful way. We'll see. I I the Pro, the League of Women Voters will be very very
2: Present. Happy
1: and present to study and be involved in facilitating a public discussion of okay. um, anything like that. We we will not take a side, but we will certainly be willing to to get involved in that in in facilitating that discussion because that it will be a very very important issue.
0: A very big one, and it's it's California skin in the game and California leading by example that it gives other states a, a template to consider uh, because the Prop Two and a Half was adopted in. Passed in Massachusetts after Prop 13 and other states around the country. I can't name them right now. So it's, uh, I would welcome with the uh, any kind of a a, a formal step taking that I could have you. You've been so so amazingly thorough and classy in this. I've got to say, Jan Wagner.
1: Well, thank you very much. We appreciate the opportunity, and we um, we urge anyone who is who has further questions to go to yes. Um, LWV uh, to go to smartvoter.org.
0: Um,
1: it's a website that is a free website for all candidates and all issues. You can put in your address and it's a very, very easy website to use. Um, you can also go to cavotes.org, which um, then you can look up every issue, and if you go to the particular issue at the very bottom, it'll say in-depth, and you can go and even look up more if you really want more information.
0: And then there was a League of Women Voters one you were just about ready to tell us?
1: Well, those are both League of Women Voters They both sites. are, okay. They are. Okay. Our own League of Women Voters website is lwvnoc.org.
0: Okay. All right. Very good. Okay. Well, I want to thank you, Jan Wagner. You've been so thorough and and very uh very even-handedness. It makes it like I I have my ballot marked up, and I'm, as you're commenting on there, I'm thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not so sure. So <laughs> I, I, it's it's you've given us a, an extremely thoughtful exercise, raised the level of discourse in how we look at our voting responsibility, and I hope that anybody listening while well, we get this podcast up and running shortly that uh, students are going to now be able to sink their teeth in it and be more motivated than I've been palpably catching on uh, to that um, that they were going to be participating in this voting process. So uh, thank you, Jan Wagner, North Orange County, co-president of the League of Women Voters. Thank you for being on Real People of Orange County.
2: Well, thank you, Claudia.
0: We'll go out with Bela Fleck here as we wrap up the show. Fun Drive, folks, is right around the corner, and I'm looking forward to hearing from all of you for your support of the cause of our community radio station. Thanks to everyone who contributed to the Fun Drive promo contest the winners all who were they'll be taping their voices uh, to their successful scripts they are stefan versa he's from law school he's a law school administrator sheila Hoodle. she's administrator school of humanities and anthony macaranis of the cancer center at uci medical and speaking of well, speaking of the uh, fund drive, whether or not we have your number, I want to make sure that you have ours. On a regular basis, we'll be going out of uh, sending out our number 949-824-5824 from October 27th to November 7th. Celebrating KUCI's 45 years of existence, we ask for your support in helping us thrive all the more for another 45. I want to just remind everybody we have some, um, we have, uh, I wanted to just give you, post you on a backing track to the uh, voters registration information to confirm that you're registered. You can go either to ocvote.com or SoCalVotes.com for this November 4th general election. Thank you for joining us. Kimberly will be on next week. Thanks for listening.